usually over a meal meant that you were accepted, you were a friend. And Jesus was famous for eating with sinners and tax collectors and sometimes even church leaders. He invited everyone in and accepted all invitations. And in his culture, table fellowship meant friendship, peace, acceptance, and unconditional love, community. It's a theme that echoes through the biblical stories from Abraham welcoming angels, from a preparation of the table in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, from provision of daily bread through to Jesus eating with Peter on a beach after the resurrection. So I'm hoping a number of you have gathered um, at a host home and you've got a chance to connect better with each other, to look for Jesus across the table or maybe across the lounge. And today, we've got a bunch of questions set up to discuss, so I'm going to try and keep the message short-ish. And, uh, and we hope that you'll use those um, conversations to connect better with each other. It's been one of the lessons of the last period of time. Having lived through lockdowns and facing possible self-isolations, uh, we become more aware of the importance of the people we live with, the people who are close to us, um, that it matters um, the people that we eat with and the people that we don't eat with. So we're wanting to explore a series we've called um, uh, Jesus at Your Table. And uh, this week it's going to look at a better way. With any luck, there'll be a, a different slide up in front of us. So we're going to have a look at how Jesus wants us to be in community with him. And it seems like a strange place to start with that. Um, but we're going to start in the desert. A short time after Jesus was baptized... And remember, in his baptism, there's a trinity. There's an indication that Jesus is in a place of community. Um, there's, because Jesus is baptized, there's the Spirit appearing over his head like a dove and the Father's voice saying, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus starts in this position of community. And they live in this tight, the, the trinity, Father, Son, Spirit are in a tight space of community and then Almost immediately afterwards in Matthew 4, Jesus is led into the Spirit, sorry, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And he fasts 40 days and 40 nights. And so he was hungry. The wilderness, it's a place where there's not enough to sustain a community's life. So people don't live there. And for Jesus, it's a place where he's alone. And 40 days and 40 nights is a pretty long MIQ with no food provided and no one else around. None of us love or look forward to that kind of encounter. And yet in Israel's history, the wilderness is a place where you rely on God. It's a place where you, the people of Israel get formed. It was a place where the people of God encountered God. Moses fasted for 40 days and nights in the wilderness. And most of us, myself included, if we could script the wilderness, we will. For some here, lockdowns were wilderness time. They can happen anywhere. Places of pain and not enough. Places where you can't hide from yourself. But in our culture, they're rare. Because we can fill them. We can fill them with Netflix and social witterings and devices. And stillness and silence are strange for us. Somewhat bizarrely, at the same stage as we have this flood of information, it's rarer to sit across the table from someone and eat with someone. 
So we fill our lives with sound and image, but not with real people. So for the wilderness, it's worth pausing and reflecting what parts of your life have been a wilderness. Has it been a place of God encounter for you? Sometimes it's a place of feeling the absence of God. Is it a place where you're being formed? Well, Jesus is in the wilderness, and then Matthew tells us that a tempter comes to him. Later on, Matthew, um, he'll call him the devil, and Jesus will call him Satan. So you could think of him as a cartoon figure. I don't know what image comes to mind for you, but I suspect for most of us in the wilderness, the voice of the tempter simply comes as an internal voice. Because that's what you do, isn't it? You have these internal conversations. No? Just me? Okay. Um, we have these internal conversations in our head. And actually, this plays out quite interestingly as a conversation between two voices where one just cannot understand the other. If you love the Bible, you'll find some people have pointed out parallels between the Genesis temptation story and Jesus. And they link it with 1 John 2, 15 to 17, the verses, in the, um, the verses in the questions we've handed out up on Facebook. And it talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And some people have suggested that those are the three temptations that are, are issued. You can look it up and decide for yourself. But let's have a look at those temptations. The first, the tempter says... If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, Jesus would be hungry 40 days and nights. Hungry probably isn't strong enough. He would crave food. And the tempter says, if you are the son of God. And you know, later, in later life, he would make bread multiply. He would multiply food. So what's the problem in just by turning some stones into bread. Why not do it? Well, Jesus responds. He says, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the wilderness, apart from the tempter, Jesus remembers what God's community is formed around. He goes to the voice that is outside of him, the word of God, And he reminds himself and he reminds the tempter that there's more than one hunger. He reminds himself that, yes, he's hungry for bread, but there's a deeper hunger and bread won't satisfy that. I don't know how it is for you, but my reflection is that the tempter likes to use hungers. And particularly our surface hungers, food, drink, lust, ego... God is also interested in our hungers, our deeper hungers. Meaning, connection, peace, deep satisfaction. And that's what Jesus refers to. Good call, Jesus. We'll get there, but my guess is that hunger isn't the deepest hunger. And that Jesus' deep hunger is for the relationship he shares with Father and Spirit. And for that relationship to be extended to creation and to us. And in the context of that, a bit of bread just ain't going to cut it. So that was temptation number one. The tempter moves on. Temptation number two gives a show, Jesus. 
time for a bit of show and tell, or maybe just a show, because the devil takes him up to the, to, to the holy city, has him stand on the highest point of the temple, and says, if you are the son of God, loves to throw a bit of doubt in there, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil quotes scripture, who'd believe it. Come on, Jesus, if you're the son of God, show everyone. If you're really Superman, well, stop pretending to be Clark Kent. Fly down, give everyone a show and win them over. Prove that you're the one. Maybe throw in some dry ice and LED lights, a bit of razzmatazz. Give us a show, Jesus. And Jesus' response is again to refer to something outside of himself. He quotes from Deuteronomy, referring to a line to a time in the desert when the people of Israel, sick of hunger and thirst, had complained to God. And he says, don't put God's to the test. It's kind of saying, God's got this. It's going to work out. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. But we're going to jump forward to the last temptation, where the devil really stops pussyfooting around and cuts to the chase. This one is about who is the boss. No, not Bruce Springfield. For the, the devil, this is all about power. I'm offering it all to you as long as you make me boss. And Jesus responds, enough already. I take orders from one person, my dad. And you ain't him. And it all goes to him, so clear off already. Call this message a better way. Because the weird thing about the three temptations is that Jesus will kind of go on to do them. He will turn five loaves and two fish into an all-time eat-out for 5,000. He will die on a cross, fall and be caught and risen. Okay, I admit that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> and then he does take up rulership of this earth. It seems to me that temptations are shortcuts. They want to cut out the tough work. And it's worth asking, what would get cut out if you take that shortcut? And the significant cut from a shortcut, if Jesus had taken any of them, is us. He's going to spend the next three years building relationships with 12 and a whole bunch of others, and there are women involved as well, who become his followers. He's going to spend three years wandering the hills with them, getting to know each other, Clark Kenting with them, eating across the table, growing slowly to know the sons of thunder, or Peter, who has this uncanny ability to take his two big feet and thrust both of them into his big mouth at the same time, but covers for it by having a heart the size of Africa. Thomas, who takes forever to decide what dessert he's going to have. John, who is gazing at the sky, thinking about big issues, but does seem to get it. Jesus wouldn't have got to know them. And so when he ascends to heaven, he'd leave behind what? Jesus wants us to be in community with him. That's what the next three years would be about. If he had taken these shortcuts, he would have missed this. Obviously, the last one, make the devil boss, nah. It seems to me that temptations are often shortcuts that are about avoiding building relationships and that we should think about that carefully we live in an age of technology here i am reading this off a um 
of a device. If I was really fancy, I'd have a, you know, one of those teleprompter things. More technology. We, and I love technology, but we do need to be careful when social media becomes a way to shortcut building relationships of depth, when Twitter trains us to think in slogans rather than with empathy, when watching films becomes a solo exercise, you in your bed alone, rather than shared, when we text or email rather than talk because we can control the narrative, are we shortcutting relationships? I think it's worth noticing that Jesus is heavily invested in the long, sorry, long, slow, complicated process of building relationships of depth. And I think technology rocks. I really like it. I love a dishwasher. You know, stack the dishes that come out clean. But when I use it, it stops me washing dishes with someone. That's in our culture. Facebook can be a fantastic tool to connect with others, but I think only if it leads, is leading you to relationships of depth. If it's polarizing us into us and them, then if it's not leading to sitting together, maybe it's not leading in a good direction. And it is great being able to text and email and messenger, but there are emotionally dumb ways of communicating. Better to ring, better to go and be present. And I get, we like to avoid pain. We like to limit it and monitor it, to turn it off. And, and there's so much happening in this world. Before I went away, we've had, well, COVID's out in amongst us. It's probably just, it used to be a friend of a friend. Now it's probably you or a friend. Uh, we've had protests that have been uncomfortable and provoking. We've had missing people. We've had... Uh, invasions in Ukraine where they've even bombed nuclear power stations. Really? Are we this dumb? And we want to avoid the wilderness, but God led Jesus into the wilderness, I assume for shaping, and it mattered that he didn't take the quick win. So what this means for us is look around you. Who has God put you around? Who has God put you that might be across your table? How might you be able to grow relationships of depth? And that's complicated and messy. And the temptations show Jesus turning down the shortcuts for a long game. Because he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. He's interested in us. God wants to be in community with us. Mostly when we think about temptations, we think about what we did wrong. Well, I do. But maybe it's worth thinking about the love that calls you into relationship, the desire to know others. There's a set of questions. Uh, there's, they should have magically appeared on our website. Um, they, if, you're, uh, if you're a host at home, you've already been emailed them. I'd like to pray. And then after that, we're going to run a Ren Collective song just to close off this service-y thing. Um, and there's a bunch of questions to talk about. Okay. I'm going to pray. Oh, here we are, God. And first of all, let's consider those of us who are in wildernesses. Not a place we want to be, 
but a place where God can work and form us. Be present to us, those who are there. Guide and lead. Give us the courage to listen to you, to listen and be okay with silence, and to allow you to form us. Give us the courage and willpower to not always press that divert button. And now let's consider those of us who when we've thought about this have thought about temptations. Some of these temptations are about our way, doing it my way, not God's way. And that's deeply woven into us humans. But we know when we do it bad, we ruin relationships. So God, we ask for your spirit to come and point out to us where those pain points are, where the shortcuts are. Put around us people who can remind us and say, you don't want to do that. Where the sins of the past have come up, forgive us. And if there's things we can do to set things right, point those out to us. And lastly, you want to be in community with us. So with the people around us now and this week, give us eyes that would see them, truly see them, and ears that are keen to listen, to build relationships, so that it might be your kingdom that comes and not ours. Amen. For our tradition's sake, I'll just read you the benediction and then we'll play the song. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Matewa.